Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Tessa Lark's long-awaited Stradgrass Sessions album is out in May, comprising a melting pot of styles, influences, and collaborations in one disc. She spoke to me recently about how her musical upbringing in Kentucky, combining Americana and classical music, has shaped her, the versatility of her Magini violin, plus why one of the tracks on her album has her chasing good vibes. Here's Tessa. Tessa, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today, um, all the way from New York. Um, and we're here to talk about your Stradgrass Sessions album, which is coming out in May. And we were chatting before we started recording, a bit of a long work in progress. It's been going for a long time, and you must be really excited that it's finally coming to fruition. So a little bit about the album for people who might be unfamiliar seems to be a combination of various styles. You know, you're um, utilizing your bluegrass upbringing, um, as well as, you know, your classical upbringing, but also there's Bartok in there, there's Izai, there's collaborations with all sorts of different artists. So, you know, I'm really interested to hear about your use of bluegrass in the album um can you tell me a little bit about how bluegrass featured in your musical upbringing you know growing up in kentucky what was it like how did music surround you in your childhood yeah um i love the way you um frame the question how did how you know did music surround you because that's um that's the feeling that i had i grew up in kentucky rural kentucky and um neither my parents are professionally musicians but my father for fun uh, plays bluegrass banjo and both of my parents are cloggers which is you know the the folksy american style of tap dance i suppose with scots irish beginnings so that was just in my house. There's a, a love for all sorts of music, especially Americana and classical. And I mean, as it goes with training, um, instrumental training, it's often classical training that you can find. Um, so I just sort of happened upon classical music and absolutely adored it, obviously. But then for the rest of my life, I always played fiddle music too. My first teacher was a Suzuki teacher, so I studied Suzuki books and she always supplemented that with bluegrass music. And I just loved being surrounded by all sorts of music and the way folk music is, is it's for the folks and anybody's welcome. You know, somebody who just picked up an instrument for the first time today, next to a legend, and they can play tunes together and just surround yourself with this sense of community. So I've always seek that out in the music that I play from my classical training and my primarily classical lens. So that's the concept of Stradgrass and it's the way I've lived in music ever since my childhood. And I really just wanted to document that in a disc. And like you said, it's been a long time coming. So it feels kind of surreal. I'm going to wait to see the day. I hope not another apocalypse happens between now and then, (laughs) but I'm, I'm really, really thrilled. It's finally coming out. Yeah, there's this theme that I'm sensing of community, you know, society, as you mentioned, um, this kind of music brings people together, folk mm-hmm. music, it's, it's music for the people. And um, obviously, the Stradgrass Sessions covers a range of styles. So I'm interested to know how do these different styles inform each other? Like in the broadest sense, how do you feel like playing folk music informs your classical music playing and vice versa? I feel that 
the way I live in life in general is just that any new experience can inform any other previous experience. And I very much feel that in all sorts of music. Um, of course, there, there are many composers and performers who um, this quote is attributed to, but a lot of people say there's only good music and bad music and we play the good kind, <laughs> you know? Oh and so that's, that's sort of my MO. Since the dawn of time, I feel the greatest composers, songwriters, musicians have always been inspired by folk music. I mean, you can look back to Beethoven, Brahms, all those old dead dudes. <laughs> they they used folk music, and sometimes you don't even notice that it is folk music They because they just crafted it so finely. And then, of course, there's Yusai on this disc in Bartok, who's one of the most well-known in terms of his studying of folk music. So that element has always been in all types of music, and it just maintains the relevance of it, at least for me, you know, and I know everyone talks about expanding the audience of classical music. And I, I have my own thoughts about that. But there, there is and will always be a relevance to folk music by its nature, as you were saying, it's community driven, it's for the folks. And it's just something that one can relate to right away. For me, how it um, affects my playing in particular is that when I get really wrapped up in the details and frustrated sometimes, I can remind myself the purpose of music, which is to bring people together and to relate in deep ways that words and language are not able to express and, um, and transcend, you know, humanity's um, woes and triumphs too. So uh, in folk music, the whole tradition around it is just so beautiful in terms of even that the music is passed on orally and is not written down. And so um, by that requirement, you must learn the music with others. Whereas with classical music, you can just do it on your own in a tiny little room <laughs> and, and not see anybody for years, you know, which, which sometimes yep, is appealing. Yep. <laughs> I think anyone who's gone to conservatory can relate to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's like a prerequisite for going to yep. conservatory. Must oh, yeah, gosh. survive in a room alone. The good but, old uh, days, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. We all had them. Um, so I, I do just love reminding myself of that aspect of music. And of course, the pandemic just magnified that too. We all had these great online virtual concerts, but I think it was just, um, again, magnified that really this music comes alive with other people and it is about that collaboration. So I try, just try to approach all music in that way um, when I get a little too stuck in my head in particular. And that's, <laughs> yeah. And that's also why I felt that I needed these collaborations on the disc because you don't really stretch yourself unless you are um, immersing yourself, putting yourself in other situations that you don't create on your own. Yeah. You get lots of different, perspectives and it sort of takes you out of your own head a little bit when you're considering things from a different point of view kind of going back to what you mentioned about how 
you know, some of the, the old dead dudes that you mentioned <laughs> used elements of folk music in their own pieces, but sometimes you don't even notice, you know. There's that refined quality that you might find. It's like, oh, this this is a folk melody, but I didn't even know. I've got to ask you about your instrument that you used mm-hmm. on the recording, which despite being called Stradgrass, you actually used a Magini on this, right? So a right. venerable 1600 thereabouts violin. Tell me about how it holds up I mean I imagine whatever instrument that you use it has to be able to withstand great versatility because you're playing all these different styles so tell me about um, playing lots of different styles on this old man of an instrument or woman (laughs) (laughs) this old yeah this old thing (laughs) Um, chicken or egg I, I might just be drawn to instruments that have the qualities necessary to um, play both the roles of violin and fiddle. Who knows? Um, but yeah, the term Stradgrass came from this time when I did have a Stradivari, which made a mean fiddle uh, by chance. And I didn't actually get to choose that instrument. It just so happened, you know, that I was going to play fiddle music on it and figure out a way to do it. Um, this violin, the Magini, which, um, yes, supposedly made in 1600, um, it's on loan to me from the Stradivari Society, and it was also an instrument I didn't get to choose, but I think it's my favorite violin I've ever played um, more long term. And it has a beautiful depth to it that all Maginis do. The unique quality of this violin is that it has a generous sound, so it actually works for concertos, but with the depth um, and the darkness, it really lends itself super well to folk music. I feel like a lot of fiddle players are drawn to this sort of growling sound in a fiddle. And fiddle music lends itself well to that because if you need more projection, you can just amplify, you know, so that lends itself well to these um, darker, more mellow sounds that might not necessarily project. But also I'm the type of person if if I want to do something and I want to make something sound a certain way, I'm just going to really figure it out. You know, I, I'm just yeah. going to spin forever until, yeah, I figure out how it, it can be done. But with this violin, it it just comes with the territory. I feel very, very lucky with this fiddle and with this violin. <laughs> it does both extraordinarily well. But yeah, there's some techniques that you can employ, um, especially with the right arm and the bow that just bring out different um, aspects and um, stylistic things like different groove feels. So there are all sorts of technical elements that the player can employ to sound more fiddly and one can do that with any instrument. But again, this one is special. I like what you said about how you'll just find a way because that, um, that's the thing. I mean, I know we, we do talk a lot about particular instruments, but at the end of the day, you know, one can't blame one's tools, right? So if you've got a particular sound that you want to make in your head, you've just got to find a way somehow using as many of your senses and capabilities just to make that happen, which I think is a is a really important point. I've definitely met many people who are like, oh, my A string's a bit funny, so I, I, I oh, don't, don't really know how to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something in that too, but it's just for me, I could get too deep in that and really go crazy. But um, even with this, with this violin, um, of course, we're all nerds and love to nerd out. I was with a couple of fiddle players, and they wanted to try the violin. And of course, when the violin was in somebody else's hands, it sounded like them immediately. It sounded like my friend, and then 
gave it to this other person. It sounded exactly like them and then gave it back to me. It sounded totally different. So it's, yeah, there's so much to be done by the individual. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Becomes a vessel for that person's voice. Finally, I'd like to ask you about a track dearest to your heart that people can seek out once the album comes out. And I know this is a difficult question to answer because... People often say, don't make me choose. But if you had to choose, what is one of the tracks on your new album that holds a special place in your heart? Yeah, I was thinking about this ahead of time and everyone says, oh, it's like choosing a favorite child or something. Uh. And yeah, favorites, favorites in different ways. But I guess two that I would highlight are um, the recording of La Soca and Cheese in the Wine which uh, I wasn't expecting to choose, but what was special about that was actually the recording process because it was during the pandemic and this was one of the later recordings. And uh, my fiance, Michael Thurber, and I were just in his at-home studio, which sounds fancy, but we were just in our New York City apartment in the middle of the pandemic in Washington Heights, this tiny eight by 10 room. He was three feet away from me and was just recording these tunes of mine. And the process was just beautiful. It was kind of later at night and he's got these really cool LED color lights. And so he just set this mood and we were just going for a mood because these tunes are not difficult, but the feeling and the vibe to use, you know, very um, Gen <laughs> X American term, the vibe I was going for. The vibe. Yeah, was... Well, there's this fiddle player, Martin Hayes, that I adore, and he puts you in a trance when he plays his music. And so I wanted something simple that hit on something deeper and meditative and trance-like. And that just takes a discipline, mentally speaking, psychologically. And it was fun to just play through this track. These And this is an unedited track, and I felt that it needed to be by nature of what I was going for. And so it was just really fun to be in that room in this cool, vibey lighting and just play a few times and find the flow that I was really going for in that piece. And that was um, special and it was momentous for me in terms of what I will continue to look for in future recording sessions because one can get really psyched out by seeing a microphone right in front of their face. But that felt like a moment when I could see the light and see that- Literally. <laughs> yes, exactly, the big red recording light, that there's potential in creating performance atmosphere with a mic in front of your face. So that, that yeah. may have been one of my favorite recording experiences yeah. with this album. Nice. Always searching for good vibes, aren't we? <laughs> yes, good vibes. Well, it's brilliant to hear about your insights into the Strad Grass sessions. I have to say, Magini Grass doesn't quite have the same thing to it. So, <laughs> good going calling it Strad Grass. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> but thank you so much for um, joining me today. And we look forward to hearing your new album coming out in May. Yes, May 5th. Yep. <laughs> thank you so much. That was Tessa Lark. The Stradgrass Sessions is out on first-hand records on 5th of May, and you can read a very old session report about some of the recording process in the Strad's October 2020 issue. Yes, it's been a long time coming, and we don't need to talk about how the pandemic has scuppered many musicians' plans for creative output, but there we are. Check out the show notes for that article.
And don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It will help other people discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.